I told people at the first service that if they were able to keep up with all the Bible verses we're about to go over, I'll give you a red, uh, a yellow smiley sticker at the end of the service. And I realized I didn't have any red or yellow smiley stickers, which was good because nobody did it. So here's the deal. We're going to talk about a passage from uh, Colossians today, and it's continuing on talking about God's creation and God's order in creation. But you know, the, the passage can be kind of heavy. It can be kind of hard to understand. And so in order to work our way through it, rather than me just telling you about it, we're going to go and use other parts of the Bible to help us understand what it's saying. So we'll put the verses and the uh, words up on the screens. If you're a note taker, you might want to just jot down what they are. But uh, it, it's going to be a good one. And so I want to, the, the passage is a good one. And so I want to start with that and, and we'll go from there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, and it's talking about Jesus now, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now we could uh, leave it at that, and I could say I hope that makes sense and send you home. Or we can say let's talk about that a little bit. Because really what it is, is God's plan is that Jesus is Lord of all things, and God's plan is that we are created in the image of Jesus, and that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to talk about, the, like we did last week, the plan that God has had for creation and for you and I since before the foundations of everything that we see and know. We're going to look at God who is the, the Son, the Word of God, His role and His place in creation And yep, we're going to jump through a bunch of Scripture to do that, and I'll encourage you to keep up if you want. Otherwise, follow it on the screen and take notes. So starting out, going back to Colossians 1, 15, let's begin. Talking about Jesus now. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. To see and to know Jesus is to see and to know God. It's also extremely important that we understand what the word firstborn means and what it does not mean. There's two meanings in Scripture, and they're both used, and it doesn't really always give us an understanding of, of which one in English, of which one they mean. The first firstborn is the first child born to a woman. Jesus was the firstborn child of His mother Mary. The other use of firstborn is very different, and it's what's happening here. It's the one that we need to make sure that we understand. It doesn't have anything to do with birth order doesn't have anything to do with how many children a woman has. It has everything to do with priority, position, how someone is esteemed. It has to do with their place, their standing, and their importance. What it is that they're given and what they have. Jesus was born as a baby here on earth, but He was never born as a created being. Jesus is God. And we need to understand that when we read the word firstborn, we're not thinking that Jesus was the first thing that God did in creation. That's not true. The Bible goes on and it tells us, in fact, that Jesus was there, was present at creation. The Word of God, it says in John, was there. Verse 16, For by Him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him 
and for Him. Nothing was created that wasn't created through, by, and for Jesus. But it's interesting what the words that are put in here. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all the things on earth that we have respect for and we say, well, that's who's really in charge. That's who's really most important. And what they're telling us in this passage in Colossians is Jesus is the one who created and is Lord of all those things as well. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Jesus, the Word of God, the Word that was spoken at creation that called everything into existence is literally the divine glue that holds everything together. He existed before anything ever was and He gives light and life and meaning to all of us and everything that is. If Jesus is the divine glue, if everything is held together by Him, a phrase that we use often, and maybe you've said this yourself, is I just feel like my life is falling apart. It's coming unglued. People come to me, and whether it's a relationship thing, it's a life thing, maybe it's a financial thing, maybe it's a bad decision thing, whatever it is, they come to me and they say, my life's coming unglued, everything's falling apart, I don't know what to do. I oftentimes surprise them with my first question because my first question is, how are you and Jesus getting along? Because Jesus is the glue that holds everything together, including our relationships, including our friendships, including all the things in our life. Why? Because all of those things exist because of, in, through, and for Him. If you're feeling like your life is coming a little bit unglued, take some time and ask yourself how you and Jesus are getting along. Turns out Jesus is the glue that holds everything together, including whatever it is that you're dealing with. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be present. He is all in all. He's the head of the church on earth. He's the beginning because through Him everything has its beginning. He's most powerful of those who have died. Why? Because He was raised from the dead. Because in Him... We have life. Verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, we know God because we know, we read about, and can have a personal relationship with Jesus. But just think for a moment. What this passage is saying is, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Last week we talked about creation. We talked about the creative power of God at work that only took the spoken Word and everything that we see and know came into existence. The fullness of God that is that power, that is that creativity, that is that wisdom, that has that sense of humor, that joy, that imagination, that sense of order and structure. All of that is the fullness that dwells in Jesus. Why is that important? Because the other thing that dwells in Jesus is the redemption and the salvation of human souls, yours and mine. See, verse 20, it says, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What does it mean to reconcile? See, it's our sin that corrupts the world. Our sin breaks our relationship with God and with other people. When things aren't going good, we probably need to step back and ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing? so easy to point the finger at someone else and say, this is what they're doing wrong with me. But you know what? As a Christian, we can step back and say, what's my part? What have I done? See, when Jesus reconciles us 
He brings us back into harmony with our Creator. And what that ends up doing is brings us back into harmony with the world around us, including the people. Jesus brings life to creation just like Jesus brings life and forgiveness of sins and salvation to all of us who accept Him because He paid the penalty for the de- uh, death for our sin. His blood on the cross reconciles us. His blood on the cross is what brings us back into a right relationship with God. And all that we have to do is to believe in Him. 2 Corinthians, here we go, heading out into the rest of the Bible now. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. For our sake He made Him sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get that? When you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, you become the righteousness of God. See, we know that we're not righteous. If we're honest, we know that we're not. We know that we're sinners. We know that we do what we shouldn't do all the time. We know that we do exactly the things that God asks us, tells us, pleads with us not to do. He even tells us what's going to happen. We know that we're not righteous on our own. In fact, we know that we're sinners. So what God did was to send Jesus to take our sin upon Himself and pay the price for our wrongdoing, to pay the price for our lack of righteousness so that we could become righteousness. That's what it means when it says, who became sin, who knew no sin. Jesus literally took our sin on Himself on the cross. Why? So that we could be forgiven and made new through Him. That doesn't mean that you're not going to sin anymore. It doesn't mean that that your sin goes away. But here's what it means, and this is what we need to understand. It means that God sees you differently. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, when you submit your life to Him, God no longer sees you as a sinner. God sees you as a saint. And so often people go, I'll just never get it right. I'll never change. I'll never never be able to do any different than I've ever done. You know what? Maybe if you lay down all the things that you're trying to hold hold on to and give them to Jesus and realize that God doesn't see you as a sinner anymore when you give your life to Him. God sees you as a saint. You'll start to live a little more like the way God sees you. Once you give your life to Jesus, He doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. And that's all part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan since before the beginning. You are part of of God's plan in Jesus. God desires nothing more than to make you righteous. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew, God now, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That is a confusing passage. People get all caught up in that in Christian circles. Here's the bottom line. You were created and you were born to live in the image of Jesus so that you might share in His position and His standing as a firstborn. God didn't create you for revolt and rebellion. God created you for relationship. And He gives you the opportunity to choose it for yourself. Before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, God knew that He wanted you to be one of His children. But then He gives you the opportunity to choose whether you will or not. If your life at this point is less than the life you want to live, maybe you're living the wrong life. Maybe you're living the life that you want, not the life that God created you to live. It's all a matter of who it is that you give power and authority to. And God created you to give power and authority to Jesus so that He could reconcile you back to God. Galatians 3, 26, For in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. Talked last week about how God created everything that is out of nothingness. Nothing existed prior to creation other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talked about how God saw infinite potential in that nothingness. And then went on and said, imagine the potential God created in you. He created you for a life in Him that is far greater than anything you would ever dream or hope or come up with for yourself. The question that we've got to ask is, do you want to live your life or do you want to live the life God created you to live? And now we go on and we read today that for all those of us who say, yeah, I'll be a children of God, all those who believe in Him, God says He makes us heirs to the riches of heaven along with Jesus. You say you weren't born with anything? Wrong. God wants to give you everything. Everything that He's put under the authority of His Son. The Bible says we're baptized into Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we profess our faith and when we step out of what is our comfort zone and we step into the water of baptism, when we're obedient in doing that, when we come out of that water, we're no longer the person that we were. We are now a new creation. We have become, along with Jesus, we take on firstborn standing with God. You might be the fifth of twelve children, but when you give your life to Jesus and are baptized, you become a firstborn. Now, I'm the firstborn of my parents' three children. Doesn't mean that I'm their favorite, doesn't make me special, it doesn't mean I'm most important. It just means that I'm the first child that came along and now I've got to deal with the reality of being the oldest. But God sees me and my other two sisters very differently, just like He sees you. It's got nothing to do with birth order. It's got everything to do with where our heart is at and whether we've given ourselves to Him. Second Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That new creation is something that's hard to understand for us, but it's what happens when we begin to take on His image and His likeness, when we start to look and feel and act and think more like Jesus when we put our faith in Him. That's why baptism follows a decision, a statement of belief in Jesus, and why that's such a powerful thing. The old us is washed away. We receive the Holy Spirit, and what happens when you come out of the waters of baptism, the old has been washed away, and a new creation comes out of the water. Last Sunday, there was about 20 people that were baptized, and it was chilly. But you know, most of them, when they came out of the water and took their first breath of air, not only was air going in, but tears were coming out. Because they understood. The old them had died. Now, the past is real. Consequences for what we have done may still come due. But you know, we can be and do all the things that God has created us to be and to do. Without Jesus, we're just going to keep kicking along trying to do our very best. Romans 8, starting in 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I'll add sons and daughters. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. Being a Christian isn't an easy thing. It doesn't come without its troubles. Life doesn't become perfect. But when you give your life to Jesus, you become an heir. Paul says we go through an adoption, we take on the spirit of adoption. And to be adopted is to be chosen. Psalm eighty nine twenty seven it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. See, God makes us someone new. We don't do it. When we decide to be baptized, we're not the ones doing something in that water. God is. God is the one who is working a change in us. We have been chosen by the Creator of the universe, by God our Father to be in God's family. <laughs> All we need to do is accept that and give ourselves to Jesus. In God's family, you know what? There's no cousins. There's no stepchildren. There's no black sheep. In God's family, they're simply sons and daughters. When the Bible says that we're co-heirs with Christ to whom God has given everything and all authority, it doesn't mean that we're second and third in line. It means that we're given the inheritance of God's Son. We're given the inheritance of the firstborn, the most honored, the revered, the greatest in all of creation, in whom creation was through and for. So I was thinking about this, and you know we've got to be careful as Norwegians. We don't want to get a big head, right? But here's the deal. Because of Jesus, you're a pretty big deal. Not because you're who we are or what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and how much He loves you. You go through life thinking to yourself it's a pretty big deal. Most of us don't. That's why we make the choices and decisions that we do. God doesn't see you as a sinner. God sees you as a son or a daughter and a saint. First John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What does it all mean? Why well, it is important that you know that when you give your life to Jesus, you become a co-heir with Him. That's a good question. This is why it matters. It matters quite simply because God wants you as His son or daughter. God created you because He loves you. God sent Jesus to die for your sins because He loves you. When you submit your life to Jesus, what you're really saying is that you want your, not your will for your life, but you want God's will for your life. You're laying down that shield of defiance that we carry and revolt against God through sin. We say, God, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to be yours. I'm going to, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. When we give ourselves to Him, accepting Jesus as our Savior, we become an heir to all of the things that God has given to Jesus. You've got a place in God's kingdom. You've got a place in the family. God's got a plan for your life that He can begin to live out in you now that is far greater than anything you would ever in your life have dared to imagine. That's why we give ourselves to Jesus, because we quit living for ourselves. The new creation that we become means the old us dies. And what dies is our selfish and sinful desires. Why? So that we can live for Jesus, He who was without sin. So where do we begin? It's not news for a lot of you. 
Well, very simply, we begin by accepting the free gift of eternal life that is Christ Jesus. By confessing our sins, by accepting Him as our Savior and repenting of the sins of our old life, there is no new creation if we hold on to all of the old things that we had in our previous life. It's as simple as saying yes to Jesus and choosing to live for Him today. Big tent is out there. You may have noticed when you walk in, we had a wedding here on the hill yesterday. It was cool, literally. But it was also really awesome. And it got time for the vows. And I read a bunch of words to the bride and I read a bunch of words to the groom and I got done and I said, if this is true, say I do. And both of them, without even planning, said, yes, I do. All Jesus wants you to do is to say yes. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to do a bunch of things right. You don't have to take care of old business first. What you need to do is to say yes. And then begin the process of allowing Jesus to do all that for you. So where do you stand on this inheritance? Where do you stand with Jesus today? If your life isn't going the way you want, I'd ask you the same question. How are you and Jesus getting along? Feeling like things are coming unglued? Maybe you need the divine glue that God sent in Jesus. Maybe today you're ready to receive that inheritance. And what is it? More than anything else, it is the forgiveness of your sins, the promise of a new life, and life eternal in heaven with Him. Maybe you're ready to say yes. Maybe you're going to continue to hold on to your shield and to fight God. Well, guess what? He's not going to let go. A few years ago, I I, uh, realized I was frustrated. I was going through a series and it just didn't seem like people were hearing. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And what God said is, you know what? You preach for salvation, nothing else. Don't preach to entertain. Don't preach to educate. Don't preach to try to get someone to come back next week. Preach for salvation. And I realized Jesus died for salvation. Not for a good story, not to make an impactful statement. Jesus died for your salvation. Of course that's what we should preach. So what is this whole message today? It's about salvation. Yours, specifically. Where do you stand with Jesus? Is He somebody who is a character in history? Is He someone who you maybe accept is who He said He was but have no interest in knowing? Maybe He's the one that you're ready to give your life to. But the question that's most important is where do you stand with Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank You that You sent Your Son to be the image and the likeness of You that we might know that You are real here on earth. But You weren't done. Then You sent Him to the cross to die for our sins so that we could know You yet again in a personal way. That we wouldn't have to live and die in our sin, but Jesus died for our sins. When we talk about the inheritance that You have given to Jesus, You've given Him everything that You've created. You've given Him all of heaven. You've given Him eternal life. And when we become co-heirs, what You're offering us is nothing less. You're offering us salvation through Him. God, don't let us take that lightly. Don't let us say, yeah, I heard it and move on. God, wherever we stand, maybe it's that we just need to come back and apologize from years that we walked away. Maybe we've pushed You off our whole life. Maybe we just want to 
make a greater and a deeper and a stronger commitment to living for you wherever it is, God. I pray your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of everyone here. Because we know that your greatest desire, your greatest desire, is that every single one of us would come to know the truth of Jesus, be reconciled through Him, and enjoy the promise of salvation. God, we give you thanks that you just never give up on us. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus that we cannot do for ourselves. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. I forgot to say at the beginning of the service, Pastor Rich is here in the back corner on the left as you're walking out. If you'd be interested in helping out care for each other as a part of uh, We Care Ministry, he would love, would you love the opportunity? He's nodding and waving. Yep, love the opportunity to talk to you. Please stop by and say hello to him and find out what you can do. Um, prayer ministry will be in the corners after the service. If you've got some business with God to take care of, please stop with them and let them be a part of that with you. So I like to break things down and make them real simple. So I'm going to take that whole message and that thing from Colossians. I'm going to break it down just like this, okay? On Wednesday is Willow's fifth birthday. Is she here? Willow's fifth birthday. Well, when Willow was uh, on the way and not yet born, Deidre thought she had great names for she and I, and Willow decided she didn't like that name for me one bit. She's Gigi, but Willow decided that I was Guy. So she names me Guy. Well, that's pretty cool, but, you know, we're, from the day she was born, from before she was born, we're doing everything we can to give this kid everything that we could to get her off to a good start and to try to, you know, just love on her. And so every day, that kid had to have heard I love you hundred times a day. But you know what really, really did it for me? Not was the first day that she said Guy. That was her name for me. That wasn't what got me. You know what got me? The first day she said, I love you back. Didn't really come out like I love you, but I know exactly what she meant. She said, I love you. Folks, God has done everything for you in Jesus, and all he wants to hear is I love you. It's as simple as that. There's nothing more that God can do for you that has not been done in Christ Jesus. And all that He's waiting for is for you to recognize it, to accept that love, and say, I love you back. It's as simple as that. If you want to talk to one of our prayer folks about it, please stop and do. 